0: This is the Water Into Wine podcast. Over the coming weeks, I'm going to be describing a journey that I've been on over the past 12 years, telling you about how I started off as a non-believer in the spirit world and ended up as a believer. I'll give you all the clues you need to go and verify this for yourself and go and research for yourself as well, because I don't expect anybody to listen to what I say, and just believe it. But I do want you to go and look for yourself because you'll find everything's there. Now you can find the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and SoundCloud. Just search for Water Into Wine Podcast. So, welcome to episode three of the Water Into Wine Podcast. Um, Last week, we discussed the artwork that I'd gone and seen, that that the Da Vinci Code um, told us held clues. And I came to the conclusion very quickly that, that it doesn't hold clues. Leonardo wasn't leaving us some sort of jigsaw puzzle to put together to find the truth he was actually painting um, life and religion as as he knew it as he totally accepted it so we have we decoded last week what he was actually painting and there are no clues not like the da vinci code says now this week we're going to look at some words that you've been told mean one thing would actually mean something completely different all this is very, very easily uh, verifiable, what I'm about to tell you. You've only got to go to well, a, good, a good place to start, is Wikipedia. That will tell you loads of stuff, but don't take 100% of what Wikipedia says for granted. Research it on top of that. Um, and a lot of the time you'll come back with the same answer, but sometimes you'll find that Wikipedia isn't quite right in some areas. So we're going to start this one off and we're going to look at Jesus' occupation first and foremost. Now, in the familiar story, um, both him and his father were carpenters. But the word in the Bible to describe Joseph and Jesus' profession is tekton. T-E-K-T-O-N. Go and look. Tecton is a Greek word that actually means men with skills, or, or basically house builders, men who were masters of what they did in wood or stone, not just wood. Now, this ambiguity is, again, telling. At the time, a far more common trade would have been a stonemason. And indeed, many carpenters would would have doubled up as such. But why has the conventional story pushed the stonemasonry under the carpet? Why did a carpenter sound better? Was there something about being a stonemason that may have been significant of a truth that the church's PR machine would rather not have been told? Stonemasonry derived its practices from the crafts of the Egyptians. Now, Egypt was a preceding and rival civilization. Perhaps the association with stonemasonry was toxic in some way. So let's let's move on and talk about Jesus' marital life. As was common then and remains so now, most Jewish men were married. There's every suggestion that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene, for Jesus not to have been married, whether he was some kind of prophet or not, would have been abnormal. There's also supposition, as we know, that Jesus and Mary Magdalene had a child together who was called Sarah whose bloodline is still in existence today. Now this, I'm going down Holy Blood, Holy Grail route and the Da Vinci Code route. If you want to know more about this, go and read the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail. Fascinating book, it really is. There's a lot of factual stuff in there. Um, I, I went and got the the uh, audio version of it, because to, to read the book was just mind blowing. It was you have to really concentrate because there's so many facts coming at you. Now, this this fact would have been sensational if Jesus were in fact a god. It's not so remarkable were he another mortal man, though. Now, the the, the story of Christ in the details of his virgin birth is common to over forty religions in the historical world. You only have to go and look, and you'll come across. <laughs> loads and loads and loads and loads of deities who have magi present at their day at their birth, uh, which takes place around about the time of the winter solstice, between the 22nd and 25th of December. Now, in some of these other religions, their are deities crucified and then lies dead for three days, only to be resurrected. So, it actually turns out that the story of Christ isn't so much the greatest story ever told as one of the oldest stories ever told. That doesn't mean it's not a good story, though, does it? Now, I'd like to tell you more about the real Jesus and why his identity has been glossed over, remoulded and distorted. The clues for this deceit have been staring us in the face for centuries. Now, it will come as a surprise to some of you just how many of Christianity's rituals are actually pagan and from a common source. What is shocking is just how much that common origin continues to dominate our religious thinking today. If Christ were a normal man with normal blood, then why do we look for a magic cup, the Holy Grail, that held his blood? And if he were divine, why are we looking for blood at all? And yet there seems to have been plenty flying from the crown of thorns and the spear thrust into Christ's body upon the cross. The Holy Grail is not a cup. When you research just that one subject alone, you'll find out over the years, over the centuries, it's been called a plate, a cauldron, And then finally, a cup. When I'm finished the the entire series of this podcast, I will tell you what the Holy Grail is. It was collected on a plate. It was boiled up and brewed in a cauldron. And it was administered with a cup. So if, if somebody holds up the cup and says the Holy Grail, they're not talking about the cup. They're talking about what's actually in it. We're also led to believe that Jesus' second name is Christ. If, If you haven't read your Bible, you would automatically think that's his second name. In fact, the word Christ is not a name, it's a title. Christ is the English translation from the Greek word Christos, which means the Anointed One, which in Hebrew is Messiah. Before 325 AD, the correct pronunciation would have been Christ Jesus, meaning the Anointed One, Jesus. Now, as you'll see later in the episodes, this title also refers to an Egyptian king when he becomes a pharaoh. There have actually been hundreds of Christs, not one, hundreds. Now, Jesus was one of the most common names around 2,000 years ago, or Yeshua was because that's his real name, Yeshua. Jesus is the English version, so in actual fact, his name doesn't really identify anyone in the normal way. Nobody really knows who this man is, which is probably why, apart from the written word, there's no proof that he actually existed. None at all. Now, if this weren't enough, the pictures from which we're familiar show Christ to be white, blue-eyed and blonde-haired. Hardly a Semitic type, is he really? More more of a Scandinavian, Viking type, crossbred with Mediterranean blood. But if you go back 2,000 years and you look, Ethiopia is a fantastic place um uh, to to research and to look at some of the churches there because you'll see that the earliest depictions of christ show him to be black with dark curly hair and possibly from ethiopia now it seems to me that a painting from the time of christ will be more accurate than the versions a thousand years later in fact if you look into the bible itself you can actually find a passage that describes what he looks like uh, this Bible passage can be found in Revelation one 14 to 14-15, and it reads like this. His head and his hairs were like wool, as white as snow, and his feet like unto fine brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters, and looking exactly like all these ancient pictures describe him as. The Nativity describes Christ's birth as taking place in Bethlehem and yet Bethlehem didn't even exist as a town at the time. In fact, Bethlehem translates from Hebrew to English as house of bread, Bethlehem, and refers to a star alignment or a temple. It's actually the star alignment of Virgo, I believe, um, and an Egyptian temple. Notoriously, according to the Bible, King Herod ordered the death of all the newborn Jewish children, all the newborn Jewish boys, uh, because he was told that the king of the Jews had been born and his his ego wouldn't allow him to to back down. He wanted to be the biggest one in the world, basically. It's a load of nonsense, to be honest with you, because King Herod died 4 BC, four years before the supposed birth of Christ. Now, this is factual. You can go and search this on the internet. Now, what irritates me about all this is that all of our calendars are focused on zero being Jesus's birth, A.D. B.C. It's nonsense. Even the calendars nonsense. Now, not only don't we know who he was, but we don't even know when he was born. The nativity also depicts a child being cradled in an animal feeding trough, which we've always been led to understand is a manger. But manger does not mean that. A manger is a ledge in a cave where they used to put the feed for animals. So you. You can understand how it's been changed, but it's not a feeding trough. It's a ledge in a cave, not in a barn, in a cave. We're told that Magi were present at Christ's birth. In fact, the the phrase Magi, or three wise men, as they're more commonly referred to, once again points to a star alignment. It's the belt of Orion, Orion's belt. We're also told that they bring the newborn, Gold, and this is quite important, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These are actually three substances used in Egyptian mummification. Gold wrapped up, was wrapped up in the body for use in the afterlife as currency. Frankincense was used as incense, and myrrh was used to embalm the bodies. Now, these alternative truths make the story of Christ's birth already somewhat problematic. So let's look a little deeper into the supposed facts. In 325 AD, the Roman Emperor Constantine the Great called a huge meeting. Now, the purpose of which was to unify Rome under one true faith. Now, at that time, Rome was, was mostly pagan, and yet the pagans and the Christians were fighting to establish whose one true faith was supreme. Um, in fact, the Christians were being fed to the lions and they were used as sport. The pagans, or let's call them the pre-Christians, believed the world around them was divine and connected to them at every waking and sleeping moment through the powers and embassies of nature. It was, in some sense, a more feminized faith than Christianity, which followed the teachings of Jesus, who told his, his followers that he was the way, the truth, and the life. He was, in effect, God's appointed middleman. And that's quite important because the, the, the Queen of England has actually gone through a ceremony very similar to this, where she's become God's representative on earth. And every Egyptian king went through exactly the same ceremony, where he became Osiris' representative on earth. And we'll discuss that in a little bit later on in another episode. Constantine was concerned that his, his empire was going to be split in two because the two halves, the Christians and the pagans, were warring constantly. So he called a meeting called the Council of Nicaea. This is discussed in, in both the Da Vinci Code and in the Holy Blood, Holy Grail. He called this meeting to address the matter in a statesmanlike way. He began by instructing them to find out as much about Jesus as they could. When they reconvened, they brought all the rumors and legends and gospels they could find. Now up until this point, no one had tried to unify two completely different religions. Constantine knew this creed needed to pacify both sides of the religious argument and keep control of the state at the same time. He quickly realized that if all the truth of what the Gospels revealed about Christ were to come out, he and leaders like him would lose control over the people for good. Instead, he selected those Gospels which supported his preferred version of the two competing religious stories. He even changed some of them for his cause. He also decided upon the dates for Christmas, Easter and every other religious holiday of the calendar as we know them today. As for those Gospels that made for more uncomfortable reading, he chose not to include them. And a single quote from Judas's Gospel serves to make this point. This is from the, the Gospel of Judas and it's Jesus talking to Judas. Jesus said, Come, that I may teach you about secrets no person has ever seen. For there exists a great boundless realm, whose extent no generation of angels has seen, in which there is a great invisible spirit, which no eye of an angel has ever seen, no thought of the heart has ever comprehended, and it was never called by any name. Now, because Constantine needed a unifying creed that wasn't completely unacceptable to either the pagans or Christians, the easiest fit was to place the person of the human Jesus Christ at the heart of some very pagan beliefs and then make Jesus divine and the Son of God. While this compromised his own position um, in establishing another point of supreme reference, he could ensure that by establishing an organized church of of which the Roman emperor would be sitting at the secular arm, religion would become a branch of state and be subject to mutually supportive laws. So the Nicene Creed allowed the Christians to worship a divine figure who nevertheless was born among them. To pre-Christians, the creed gave them a mortal man who was given godly wisdom about an eternal domain that, in many respects, reflected their own articles of faith. In short, by making Jesus the Son of God, The Nicene Creed was allowed to thrive in the ambiguous space between mortal and divine man. This ambiguity was to be priceless. For all its pretensions to higher truth, the Bible is, of course, a very useful tool of social control. Arguably this was the Nicene Creed's prime purpose. The Creed wasn't written by an enlightened group of devout mystics, but instead its terms dictated to an obedient committee by a very powerful mortal man with divine pretensions for the purposes of subduing the unruly population of his empire. Now, the Freemasons have been saying for for quite a while that the Bible is veiled in allegory. It didn't even set out to provide a balanced account of what the real Jesus may or may not have said. It was changed to avoid bloodshed and destruction of property in AD 325 Rome. Now, it always makes me chuckle to myself when somebody starts quoting biblical gospels when, when, <laughs> when they want to convert somebody. They want to, yeah, they're talking to somebody that, that's an atheist, for example, and they start quoting the gospels that were inserted by a pagan. Then they go and celebrate Christmas, which is a pagan holiday. They also celebrate Easter, which is another pagan holiday. And it goes on and on and on. And you just sit and look at people that are so tied up with one man's point of view, one man's opinion. It wasn't written down and put together as the Nicene Creed to prove a truth. It was put together to stop bloodshed and murder on the streets of Rome. It's one man's opinion, which was a twisted opinion. That's where we're going to finish off this week's podcast. Next week, I'm going to sit and talk to you about the Knights Templar. I've done quite a bit of research about them, and I can actually tell you that, yes, they did find the Holy Grail under the mount in Jerusalem while they were digging. And the the reason I've come to this conclusion is because of how they changed. The type of people they were to start with, the original nine noblemen, very material people, and they changed. After they found what they found, they changed. We'll be discussing that in episode four of the Water Into Wine podcast. Have a fantastic week. I'll speak to you next week.